you don't get enough likes on social media. You know, I get, is that what you're going to spend your time worried about? No, just go make something really freaking awesome that's going to bring you joy. So I packed my bags and I packed my acoustic. Then I moved to a town that is known for live music. Learned a cover or two so I know how to do it. Now I write my own songs. There's nothing to it. What's up, everybody? It is Sunday, July the 14th, 2019. And this is singer-songwriter with Tom Meany. Be careful where you lay your head. Be careful where you're making your bed. Be careful where you store your treasure. You might live there forever. Not so easy to set free. Not so easy to set free. We're not so easy to set free. There are some chains we cannot see. What's up, friends? This uh, Sunday afternoon, I am honored to have my buddy in the studio, and he is a singer-songwriter, visual artist, and all-around great human being, and he is the person that you just heard on that clip, Mr. Chris Taylor. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing great. I'm honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad that you made the trek from San Antonio. We've been talking about this for a while. Yeah, you're worth it. Definitely worth (laughs) I-35. I will start by saying I'll I'll give you a little bit of a background of how I know Chris. And um, we've been talking about doing this podcast for a couple months, even before the podcast kind of all the parts came together. Chris and I met a few years back, probably four to five years ago in Dripping Springs, Texas at the Dripping Springs Songwriters Festival. And I'll set the scene. There are 40 plus singer songwriters there. Many of them are folk. Many of them are country or Americana. So I'm playing a a couple sets uh, they're all kind of in the round so there's four three or four people on stage and so you're hearing these folk songs country songs acoustic guitars and uh then on one set i have a gentleman who i've not met and i knew some of the people um and then i hear something like this So obviously it was the acoustic version of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But man, was it uh, music to my ears because not that there's a problem with, you know, country, then folk, then country, then folk, then country, then Americana, then country, then folk, because that's what a lot of those people were expecting to hear. Uh, but for me to hear the something completely different it was a breath of fresh air and i knew immediately i like this dude he's different 
I like the cut of his jib. <laughs> and we, Thank you. Yeah, Thank we you. probably played three or four songs in the round that day, and they were all, I mean, it was all the same as far as, um, you know, when it comes to Chris's turn, it's like my ears perked up, and it was something completely fresh and different. And I knew that this is someone who was kind of a force. Uh, but enough about... Uh, uh, Padding Chris's ego. <laughs> My fragile ego. <laughs> no, um, thank you very much. I'm, I'm lucky you sent me some special tracks. I got to hear your new project early. Yeah, I'm, I'm super um, thrilled about it. It's been probably the most work and effort put into any piece of music I've, I've made in a decade and uh it, it was intentional yeah to have that but you know i i am so glad that it's finally um it's it's finally getting out of my head and right. off of my off of my little you know hard drive world into the ears of and hearts of other people right now so it means a lot and i really appreciate you having me here to talk about it yeah so, so. I, well i want to get to that but i want to talk about your vast history sure, of sure. music and art before that one of the things that i knew before having you here was that you have so many albums and you have multiple different projects some of them all going on at once some of them going on right now <laughs> yeah yeah and so i knew that trying to do something chronologically would be a difficult task and I thought in my head, man, I'm going to say on the podcast, if there's anyone out there that knows how to make a Wikipedia page, <laughs> do the research and make it. And then I get on to Google oh, no. and there is a Chris Taylor Wikipedia page. So you oh. know that you've made it. I, I had no idea this existed. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually a bit petrified right well now. <laughs> i think i think it's safe it's m mainly chronological like a like a listing of your albums but um the fact that it's there is impressive all right all <laughs> so right. that's kind of the pinnacle you've no you know that you've made it uh, all right when you have when you go on to wikipedia and someone has made a page for you so um tell me a little bit about how long you've been playing music and recording. I mean, I know a lot of this stuff based on our conversations, but I want the people to kind of get a full understanding of your body of work. Sure. Um, I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try to keep it short and sweet, and then you can ask any questions, you know, uh, along the way. But to me, I, I feel like even though I started recording in like 1986 on a four-track over at, it was... Uh, my youth pastor invited me over to his house and he had this thing called a four track and he invited a friend of ours, a, a Fostex or a Tascam. I think it was a, I think it was a Tascam. <laughs> yeah, those were the two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. At that, that was a, an experiment. It's not like I came in with songs. I, I had notebooks full of lyrics that weren't even really lyrics. It was really just notebooks full of bad poetry, but that was what I had. The music was in my head. Um, so, when I got there, he had a four-track recorder. He had like a, uh, a little keyboard, and I think he had a bits and pieces of a drum kit laying around. And a friend of ours, Brian Slagle, came over, and it was like the first time my eyes were opened at the possibilities of 
starting with nothing and coming up with a, with a sound that was uniquely yours or that was just, that's what my voice sounds like? Or, oh my God, you know, it was just this incredible thing. So um, we did all sorts of experimentations and I think most of it was because there was also this thing called the digital delay pedal that is like a guitar pedal, but I somehow figured out that you could plug your microphone in it too. And so for like, I have a cassette tape, it's like 45 minutes of me going, hello, 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 <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> and I'm like, this was like, welcome to another world. That, right. that was the closest thing to mind expanding drugs as I've ever been on. But yeah, so that was where it all started, um, the recording of it. And then just before that was me, you know, I live in San Antonio uh, since, since 85. But uh, prior to that, it was like I'm skipping rocks into Lake Ontario, and my sister uh, managed a movie theater. And so, uh, on the in when they were closed, she'd let me go up there, and she'd turn on the lights on because it actually had a big wooden stage and plush red velvet curtains. It was built like in the 20s or something like that. And so I got to go on the stage, and these lights shining at me in a large empty theater, and I and I felt like this feels right for me, like. I want, I didn't have anything to offer. I could, I didn't have, I had no talent as far as I couldn't play a, an instrument or I couldn't really sing, but I, this was some weird thing inside of me that just c- compelled me that this is yeah. the direction. So at that time you're hearing this sound that's uniquely your own at this time and through the Tascam and through uh, the, the delay pedals. And was there that you can remember a group of musicians or bands that you were really into that were maybe in the back of your head that kind of, you know, maybe subconsciously you were picking and choosing from, I really like yeah, this sound. Yeah. I, I like that guy's voice or I like this type of music. Who were you listening yeah. to back then? Well, in about 80, 84, 85, I was heavily into the cars and I really loved uh, Rick Ocasek had a solo, a solo album. Um, called Beatitudes. And I was like, oh my God, this was another one of those um, really eclectic, sort of um, super technology-driven, lots of loops and and beat machines and that kind of thing mixed with synthesizers and the guitar. And I was like, I, I don't know. How, like at that point, I didn't know what even those instruments were. I didn't know what you called it. I knew nothing. My reference was nothing. I just knew that when you when I put my little headphones on and turned my little Sony Discman <laughs> disc player on, you know, that the sound was magical to me. It was the closest thing to magic or spirituality as I had ever known. I was like, the sound was everything. And that, to me, was great. And then about a year later, I heard a, U2 come out with a record called The Unforgettable Fire. And... I had kind of known you two, but they were kind of more um, anthemic and sort of almost uh, had like a, I don't want to say like, you know, this is New Year's Day and Sunday, Bloody Sunday right. and those kind of things. Videos we saw on MTV in, yeah. were there recording in a 100,000 filled stadium. Right. But yeah. But there was something about the unforgettable fire. Again, it was a sound. It wasn't necessarily Bono's voice or or whatever. It was more like... There's something here that is beyond it, like a pop song, or it's a feeling mm-hmm. um, that I got. And there was a song called um, "Bad," and another song called "Elvis Presley in America," 
and Wire, those three songs off that, that record was like, I had heard nothing like it before. And then to kind of find out, you know, years later that Daniel Lenoir and Brian Eno were the two producers and the masterminds behind that whole, I mean, without taking anything away from the four uh, Irishmen, but these, <laughs> but these two guys were, were the guys that pulled them out of that sort of straightforward songwriting into a whole new territory. And I was like, oh, the, the risk taking the chances, going for it, even if your strategy is working, your musical strategy is working to throw it all away and say, um, let's go somewhere new. And even though, again, I couldn't explain that uh, as a 16-year-old kid or whatever, I, I could feel it. And so it wasn't until when I started to write music, I just thought, I want to go wherever my muse takes me. Like, I don't want to just be known for the guy who plays acoustic guitar and harmonica. I want to, I want to always um, follow whatever my instinct leads me to. So. I, I think that you've done that well. And the reason I say that is because I've had an opportunity to hear a lot of your music. And there is so much of it that it would take you quite some time to hear it all. But if you go to chrystaylor.bandcamp.com, you will see Chris does not stick to one particular genre. <laughs> and... I like that. It's hard for me to comprehend doing myself because when I try to write outside of whatever it is I do, it sounds forced. But for you, it's so very natural. And the best example of that is your most recent album. But before we get to that, sure, I, I know that you have uh, reunited with the band that you're in years ago. Tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Okay, so... Um early 90s we uh i had i had this sort of ever-changing little scrappy band that that i was um i guess the visionary of if you want to call it like that uh and i knew i wanted to take it away from um where we had been playing and i wanted to go full-on into the clubs bars the rock and roll scene this is you know, obviously post-punk, we were coming, we, uh, the music was becoming more, a little bit more aggressive, more intense. I blame the drummer for that in a good way. Uh, it was just, you know, lots of pounding and thrashing, which meant everything came up, which meant you're singing more intensely. Everything was happening more dynamically. So I thought, I want to change this band's name. I want to get players that are going to stick around. And that became Love Coma. And Love Coma lasted from uh, probably the end of 92. We recorded a, a little demo in San Antonio, a 10-song demo that got picked up by a record label and got a fresh coat of paint as packaging on the outside and got distributed everywhere. And we're like, if we had known that was going to happen, we'd probably put a, a, few, a little a few more hours into the making sure our guitars were in tune or something. Um, so that kind of got us on the map. And then... Pretty soon we were touring, playing festivals. It was like uh, getting this little cult following. And that lasted until about, uh, so 92, until about 96, the end of 96, I saw that we were just chasing our tail. You know, we were in this weird ghetto where, you know, it was known as the Christian music scene and, and we never really wanted to be a part of it. But I take 
full responsibility for that because I'm super interested in spiritual things and I'm, I'm interested in, the, in all the big questions that everybody has. But, you know, some people have decided one way or the other way. I just the guy that asks the questions. I, I haven't figured it out myself. So I just knew that this is the problem was is we weren't saying Jesus as many times as uh, the, the Christian radio crowd wanted us to. And yet we were saying Jesus one or two more times than everybody else wanted us to. So we were in this, oh, you know, we're trapped. Uh, we can't get gigs here. We keep getting kicked out of churches or, or we, we find ourselves in these, like, we just want to play a rock and roll gig and we have to like stop in the middle of the show for the pastor to come up and finish his sermon. And we're like, I just wanted to rock, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So it was this real strange thing. And I have no regrets of any of it. It was a very interesting chapter of, of my world. But um, so, yeah, I just kind of laid it to rest at the beginning of 97. And all these years later, um, I get a text from someone that's not in my contacts. And he's saying, all right, dust off your songwriting skills. Come on, man, let's do this thing. And, he's, and all of a sudden it was Chris Mattingly, our guitar player. And he sends me... Um, my goodness, like seven or eight uh, instrumentals that he's just created that is ju that are just like amazing. And he's a very epic rock and roll, you know, um, writer, writes lots of guitar riffs and hook oriented stuff. So that was a spark. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is this is love coma or instantly love coma. And I knew. And so I just made one phone call to Chris Dodds, our drummer, and he was in. And I thought, as long as it's the three of us, um, the original bass player for Love Coma is uh, a, a pastor in Mexico City, I believe. So I knew he wasn't going to be stepping down to play in a, a wild rock and roll band. Um, so we just picked up from there and we ended up writing a bunch of tunes and we've got about five of them so far. It's going to be some sort of an EP that's going to be released next year. So are there plans for more songs or is is it... Yeah, I have a feeling we'll probably continue to write more songs, whether they wind up on the EP or not. It's all uh, more of a money issue than it is uh, anything else. Right. But there are also plans for live shows. So we're going to play some very selective live shows uh, in, in hopefully in and around Austin. So that would great. be great. Um, so you mentioned rock and roll as what this band is. And so yeah. I, on this podcast, one of the things that I want to, make a habit of is asking the guest because I, I'm fascinated when people, when I hear someone ask this question to another uh, artist, what is your musical genre? I, I will say rock and roll only because that's the spirit of it all. Whether I'm playing acoustic guitar and harmonica, whether I have a, um, you know, a drum loop going through my iPhone and that is just my vocal in a drum loop. Uh, I, it's all rock and roll to me because it's this—it's the attitude in which I approach it. Uh, and because I do tend to change styles quite a bit, I'm totally fine with just being—you know—because it's too difficult now. Because even Bandcamp will say, you know, uh, it, it'll want me to define whatever this thing is, right? And, I'll, and, I'll, and they give you like twenty choices, and I'm like. I don't think my choice, my selection is here. I, ha I have to type out a new one. So it's just a, it's just one of those kind of things. But the spirit of rock and roll is where it, where it all I, is. I totally agree with you, Chris. Because when when I hear your music, 
regardless of if it's at the Dripping Springs Songwriters Festival when you only have an acoustic guitar in your hand, or if I'm li- in listening to your, you play a track for me in your living room that is built up and has all kinds of things going on, like a gunshot and a, somebody screaming in the background or yeah, something. Yeah. It's rock and roll. And when if someone asks me, what is his genre? I'm going to say rock and roll. And I cool. couldn't answer that way for most of the people that I know. Like, you know, I could say so-and-so sounds like this other artist but but modern you know when they say chris taylor it's rock and roll in my mind that makes me happy you're very rock and roll your aura is very rock and roll um one of the cool things though this this is near and dear to my heart because you put out an album that is you know quote unquote an acoustic album and i wanted to find out I think I know the answer, but I wanted to find out your motivation for doing that. Did that have something to do with the fact that you were playing more shows acoustic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. straight up answer, yes. Um, it's like no matter how much you want to have a band and you dream up the songs in, in their rock and roll glory, you know, you, you, you hear it in your head as like sort of the rock and roll orchestra, guitar, you know, guitar, bass, drums kind of thing you wind up just playing a lot of shows either solo or if I'm lucky, I'll have my friend Mitchell Connell playing electric guitar with me. And, and I just found even the two of us together, it's like, Oh, the song is there. The melody is there. There's aggression there. There's, and then I also realized, you know, I can do this by myself and pull this off. Even if there's no solos or any of that stuff. And you, you kind of, um, for me, I just felt like I needed to at least have one, uh, one, piece of music that was um something similar so that if people liked that vibe if they liked that kind of energy they have a choice to go oh okay this one is the one i'll get and i'll probably make more but right that was the one so i i believe that's a genius move and i did something similar myself because there's somebody who's her name's shannon curtis and she's kind of the expert of house concerts she, she had the book right yes okay and yeah. In that book, because at the time I was playing a lot of house concerts, but I wanted to play more, and she put a small book out that you can get on Amazon. I'll put a link in the in the description, um, and it describes things that uh, you should do if you're trying to book house shows, and how and if you're booking house shows, how you should um, play them, how they should be set up. But one of the things she said is people that listen to you at a house show, typically a house show is a is a solo acoustic or maybe someone with a piano it's not a full band she said you should provide merchandise uh, for people to buy that is the same thing that they just heard you do and i think that that was genius so i went out and did that myself and recorded kind of a broken down solo acoustic album i actually did two Um, but what happens is someone will hear what you just did they'll buy your acoustic album but then they're so intrigued that they want to hear more. So then they'll go out into your catalog and find some of your fully produced things just because they want all things Chris Taylor. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, and I had almost the opposite of that happen. I, I played a, a house concert not too long ago. And um, there was, you know, people buying CDs. And one gentleman in particular said, uh, 
Yeah, I listened to your, you know, your Nashville Sessions record, which is, you know, a record that uh, compiled of songs during uh, three different Nashville Sessions trips and played with this amazing, just these amazing studio musicians. I mean, you can't get better than these guys. And, uh, but after him seeing me just by myself in the living room with my acoustic guitar, he, he found that to be better or more his taste right then so it's like you never can tell what people are going to like or not like about what you do exactly and so uh or he loved he liked the record obviously but he just thought oh but man when i hear you do this song just you and the guitar and i'm like really that's me because i'm bored of myself i get bored of myself so easy i I can understand three minutes into my song i'm like i'm well, there should be cellos here. Yeah, there should be a, a, a boys choir behind me. I, right. You know, that kind of thing. Um, so it's, you never can tell. And so you have to just trust. Sometimes it just boils down to trusting your song and trusting the delivery method. Okay, it's just me and the guitar. Let's just go give that performance everything. Let's give it everything. And then you're if you're lucky enough to have the orchestra behind you or the thing, then you go, all right. But that's what I love about songs too is like, some people feel like, and, and I'm on a seesaw about this, but some people feel like, oh, once it's recorded, that's the way it's got to be. You got to go play it just like that. And, and if it's, sometimes if it's the right song, you just want to hear it. You want to hear the perfect riff in it. You, want, you have all your favorite things about it. But to me, I love, the, I love the spontaneity of going to a place and sometimes just the room itself it changes the tone of the song. It cha- you, the room is a little rowdier than you want it to be. And maybe you're a little pissed off inside that like no one's listening or you feel that no one's listening or something. And all of a sudden that gentle little song becomes, sort of this ag- at least for me anyway, it just sort of becomes this aggressive thing just because I'm trying to get the attention of that, of table nine. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I love it that my songs can morph like that. Or if I get a, a different set of players than I normally have, just by instinctually by them playing their own style to it, the song will just morph into that whole thing. And I'm like, Oh, don't fight that. Just enjoy it. If you get the right players, even if it's completely different, enjoy it. So, yeah. Hi, this is Grace Pettis and you're listening to singer songwriter. Tom. There's so many great stories that I would love to bring up. I don't know that we'll even have time, but one of the most interesting stories was, at some point in your career, a death metal or very, very heavy metal band out of Germany yeah. had discovered you. You want to tell were, that story yeah. briefly? Because, <laughs> I mean, well, that's one of the most fascinating stories. Yeah, it was. it's, it's a band that um, they're actually here in the States. And again, okay, this is 1997, 98, somewhere in that, the ballpark. I got a phone call saying, hey, uh, this is Andy from Holy Soldier. And I'm like, Holy Soldier? And I'm like, aren't they like a Christian like heavy metal band? And, it, and, it, and they were. And um, they had two lead singers in their time, and neither of these singers could do this tour. And it was a European tour, you know, and it's starting in Germany. Oh, that's what it was. And uh, so they said, he says, I love your voice, man. I totally dig it. So I would love for you to come be a part of this tour. And all I heard was like Germany 
on stage music festival. I'm like, uh, hell yes, I'll do it. <laughs> and then it, I realized shortly afterwards, probably on the plane to Nashville, I think that I, I have to learn like 22 songs. <laughs> it was the, the most petrifying, um, gut wrenching, like, cause I wanted to do something amazing for this band. Like I wanted like you have to realize you're going overseas where they're huge. You hear, oh, we're big in Japan. These guys were freaking huge right. overseas. <laughs> They've had two lead singers. One was like a screamer, and one I think. And, and I didn't know I didn't know any of their music really until I had to dive into it because I had to learn it. <laughs> Just be careful what you say. Yes, to boys and girls, <laughs> do your research. And I'm really, again, I'm really glad I did it. They're, they're a wonderful band, wonderful people. But it was like, holy mackerel, trying to get through that gig. The, the amount, the headaches I had, the pressure I had uh, upon myself, just trying to remember lyrics. Right. And then I told them right off the bat, I'm not a screamer. I'm not going to do the thing. The growling because scream. I can't yeah, do yeah. it. I will, I will it will seem like I'm just mocking the music and I don't want to do that. So I'll just do what I do in the context of your songs and I promise I'll, it's, it'll be sincere. And so we did it and then it was just like all the German fans that would come up and talk to me in this broken English going, oh, you're a good singer, but eh, not with this band. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I know, I know, but trip to Germany, my friends. Yeah, you know, that's get- <laughs> pretty cool though. I mean, just out of the blue to get that call. It was, and and yeah. the fact that you weren't a heavy metal not a screamer and they the guy liked your voice and wanted you to be a part of that is pretty crazy yeah thinking about that for myself i think i would be i'm uh, so glad (laughs) i did it i'm so glad i did it and and again what you see on the outside is you think oh christian heavy metal thing and then like you get you get on the inside oh i like i hate labels anyway whether it's musical labels life labels any of that stuff but I think once you actually meet the person and then the people in this band, you're like, oh, we're just playing rock and roll. We're just singing. So- okay. Right. I know how to sing songs. I know what rock and roll is. So that, that was our common ground. And we were able to, able to jump, jump off from there. Well, and one thing that I want to mention is because, and I've mentioned this before, I, the fact that you have so much music out there and all different genres, I have a few favorites and so i want to i'm gonna because i could never post them all or play them all on the podcast we'd run out of time but i'm gonna post my favorites in kind of a tom meany chris taylor uh uh mixtape on and i'll put those in the notes and a link to those songs i would hope that if you listen to them you'll you know Give the dollar for, I mean, they're a dollar, right, on Bandcamp. I would hope that you'll consider giving the dollar for the song. Um, but my favorites, and I and I haven't heard all your albums because there's so many of them, but it's my right. favorites. I love Down Goes the Day, Jesus and the Baby Elvis, and I love that because of how I was introduced to that song. Uh, I'll tell you this real quick. Last year at Dripping Springs, I felt terrible. I was going through a health thing. I was not present, even though I'm on stage. I definitely was not present. And, you know, it was a kind of a gloomy, rainy day. And, um, you know, I'm going through the motions. And then, and I felt it coming. 
Chris just at the right moment picked the right song and the crowd loved it. All of us on stage kind of perked up and it was Jesus and the baby Elvis. There's a song called River that I prepared to sing at our <laughs> house concert. Here's a funny thing that happened. So Chris and I learned each other's songs for this house concert. And but with the 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 I even mentioned, listen, I'll prepare for these songs that you've given me. If you in the heat of the moment, you make an audible and you don't play one of these songs because you are feeling something else. And that's just a, a good artist does that depending on the feel and the crowd. And so I don't, I think you played one of the songs out of the five that I learned, <laughs> but yeah. Riv river was on the list. And I think river is, it brings me a feeling of going back into a particular time of my life like when i smell the the smell of uh freshly cut grass yeah. it brings me back to when i played football because i was in grass every day that's you right know? um but river brings me back to going to a concert it could be any concert at the frank Irwin center when the sound ordinances and all that were not in place and people that rocked really rocked and when you walked out of there your ears rang for quite some time yeah <laughs> well river brought me back to like the band just hit the stage and this is the first song and it's cold in the Irwin center and there's smoke coming from the stage that's what it felt like to me now that's what i'm gonna think every time i play that song. it's such <laughs> a cool song and so i'm gonna make sure that i list it and you can hear that then there's a song called good night good night and um that song hit me in a whole different way um and the power of that song even reaches through a computer screen because I watched you play that song. I didn't get to um, attend the rap party at Dripping Springs two years ago because I was in San Antonio watching a friend do a play. So you were in Dripping and the whole, all the rest of the performers were on a Sunday afternoon wrapping up the festival. And Chris was the last person to perform so last song of the festival, which is an honor in itself. And sometimes it's just a random, you know, this happens to be the last four people on stage at this particular venue. And that's yeah. the last show. Um, but Chris got the last song of the festival. He picked good night, good night. He unplugged his guitar. He walked off stage and went into the crowd and sang the song truly solo acoustic with no amplification and I watched that on video. It was very moving to me. Uh, even I can't imagine had I been there in person, I probably would have broke down. But I did see on this video, you can see some tears in a couple people's eyes and you can see how special that was. And uh, so that's why I really, really love that song. And I also have chosen that song as the outro of this podcast because I good night, good that. night is a cool way to say goodbye for each episode. Yeah, I noticed that. That's really, really, that was a very sweet thing to do. And, I, and I know the significance of the song. I've heard you tell that story. And I hope that those of you who are listening uh, will catch Chris at a house show or at one of his gigs. And uh, maybe you can request that song at the end of the night and he'll tell the story about the, the significance of the song. For sure. Um, and not so easy to set free. 
Oh yeah. Which I played at the beginning of this podcast. It's just such a cool vibe. It makes you feel, gives you the goosebumps on the back of your neck and it makes you feel like you're, you're kind of rising into the air. Um, so the acoustic album, I also love so much as, as I mentioned before. Cool. So watch out for the, for the clips there, but also there's one other story that I think is important because we were talking, this is a songwriter podcast. And last week we spoke to Grace Pettis, who, you know, and, and we spoke about co-writing. And so you have a, a pretty significant experience, I think, co-writing with someone who is a very high-profile person. Yeah. You want to tell that story? Sure. Um, my goodness. Uh, yep. Uh, I got a chance to co-write a song with Dave Stewart, who, uh, for a lot of people, he would probably be best known for being one half of the Rhythmics with Annie Lennox. And since then, he's produced everybody from Mick Jagger to Joss Stone to Stevie Nicks, and the list just keeps going on and on. And he's also had his hand in many uh, TV shows. And most recently, you might have heard of a TV show called Songland, which is about singer-songwriters uh, pitching their songs to different musical artists, and he's the brains behind that baby as well. I did not know that. Yeah, so he is, he is like the, this, the, you know, where's Waldo of, of the music world, and he is, a, like to me, a super eccentric genius, but he's so lovable that you understand why Stevie Nicks, Mick Jagger, and a, a, a laundry list of other artists want to work with him. And yet he's still obtainable to where, you know, he'll get on Twitter and he'll say, all right, I'm taking a, let's just take sort of a, I don't want you to call it a competition. It's not really a competition, but he just said, I'm going to provide a track of music and whoever comes up with the best lyric melody on top of it, you know, get it like a signed copy of a book or something like that. And I was like, and at this point just gotten on Twitter. I didn't know really anything about what I was supposed to be doing on it or whatever, but I was like, um, sure, I, why not? <laughs> and so I opened my lyric book and I came to this blank page and it just said here and gone, but everlasting on the top of the page. And I remember I've had that song title in my head for months and months. And I said, I listened to the track. I listened to it about three or four times just to let it, sink in to see if anything would come up and the minute i hit on here and gone but everlasting i knew this is that song there is no other song it didn't matter that 300 other people were writing their own version to that song it was like nope this is here and gone but everlasting i wrote the lyrics in like 15 minutes i sang it and i sang it into my laptop computer microphone that little <laughs> that little hole yeah because <laughs> i didn't have anything right i just sang it right into that and then I set it off because I'm so used to, and I think this is, goes back to like why I have so many records and why is because somewhere along the way, whatever my musical hopes and dreams were, I realized I, my trajectory was, it's like, it's like that was way over there. And somehow I'm finding I'm way over here. I'm drifting off course from what my trajectory was like, 
I wanted to be someplace much different musically speaking than I was. So after a time of depression and bitterness and all the things that come along with not being where you want to be, I woke up and I just thought, what do I love to do? I love to make art. I love to make music. Then just freaking do it. Who gives a crap about anything? Like, who cares? Oh, people aren't listening to you enough. Oh, <laughs> no one's buying your records. Oh, man. You don't get enough likes on social media. You know, is that what you're going to spend your time worried about? No, just go make something really freaking awesome that's going to bring you joy. Right. Because joy is the most, um, it's kind of like you can't pay for it. And it's the thing that everybody really wants. And so I thought, so the, the creating all these records was a search for joy for me. That's really what it is. So to me, entering this competition, this little contest with Dave, who came up with the best words of music, was just another search for joy. And it wasn't even about being picked because I just already assumed, ah, he probably won't even get a chance to listen to this. This is, I'm sure thousands upon thousands of people are submitting. Mine will just get lost in the shuffle. It's a very woe is me thing, but I never let that stop me from actually doing the thing. I don't just go, oh, I'm not good enough, so I'm not going to do it. I go, no one's going to really care, but I'm just going to make the best thing ever. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like a weird, it's just a weird mental thing I have. Among many other weird <laughs> things. But uh, so anyways, I did it. And like a week later or whenever, I, I found out that I, I, he, I'm the one he chose. And the next thing I know, like I'm eating a chicken sandwich and I get a phone call. It's a very eccentric British voice. And I'm like, I don't know any voices like that. And it's Dave and we're talking. And I'm chewing and I'm like, ah, <laughs> crap. You know, it was weird. It was an awkward thing. And then after that, he invites me to uh, to come hang out with him, and I find myself in this in this room in Nashville in this recording studios. And there's Martina McBride is in the room, and Lionel Richie's in the room, and um, about fifteen of the world's greatest session players that most people will never know their names, but they're so freaking amazing and talented. And a lot of them are, are country musicians that are playing on Dave's record. At the time, it was like 2010, so I think it was his Blackbird uh, Diaries album. He just came into Nashville, this, and, and he's like me, because I'm going, holy crap, he comes into Nashville, and within five days, he takes his band, whips through all these songs, records them super fast with all these country musicians, and does his own twisted, weird brand of like country, British, vibey, like you can't really classify it. Right. And it's freaking amazing. And they're, so they're listening to playback. And over in the corners, the, the guy behind the, the, uh, the bar with martinis and, and different alcohol drinks and bottles. And he looks like Fabio. And the, his long blonde hair is flowing and the white shirt's flowing. And I'm like, this is a freaking music video. How in the world did I just get here? And then, you know, it, it turns out that it ends up being one of the greatest nights of my life because he ends up playing our song at like two in the morning for all the musicians at full volume in the studio. I, everybody gets a chance to talk with me and meet with me. I get hugged upon by Martina McBride and thumbs up and all the kind of like stuff that would make a singer songwriter like that meant more to me than, you know, than anything really, because it's like, those are the fumes I live off of today. Like those that like, 
because you don't think you need a stamp of approval. And all of a sudden somebody like, like a whole room full of that caliber of musician and artist, um, they give you sort of this really beautiful stamp of approval. And you're like, you're walking on, on clouds for months. And then you have to, in the next 10 gigs that are crappy gigs where nobody gives a crap and, and you're playing as background music in some restaurant or something. And you're like, I didn't sign up for this. What am I doing to myself? You go, Oh yeah, that's what's possible. Yeah. yeah. That's what's possible. So it's, it was a beautiful thing. And, and since then we've just remained friends. We've talked on and off and we've never really asked anything of each other other than just kind of like really great friendly conversations and it's been awesome i think that's a great story and i want to take this quick opportunity to uh do a little bit of an advertisement and then we'll come back and we'll talk about your newest project and uh play a song from that cool and maybe talk a little bit about what else the other thing that you do that's very very important and that's your your visual art so let's take a quick break and we'll be right back This podcast was recorded on the Roadcaster Pro, the world's first fully integrated podcast production studio. Whether you're a seasoned podcaster or just starting out, the Roadcaster Pro is all you will ever need. Find out more at road.com slash Roadcaster Pro. All right, we're back. I, as we took that little break, I was telling Chris that I, I have to get a frame for this piece of art that he gifted me. He's actually done two great things for me. One is a, I'm looking at on my wall, a picture that Chris painted that has my face and my beard and all of my songs written that he took a photo of. He took a photo of the painting and put that on either Instagram or Facebook. I can't remember, but the photo looked so cool that I made a print of the photo. He also gave me the painting, which I need to have uh, either framed and put up on my wall here or in my parents' house. I haven't decided yet, but I had to put it up when I had my floors redone here. Uh, Chris is also responsible for the artwork on this podcast itself. So when you see that um, bearded, face with no actual features in the face and glasses and hat. Chris did that for me. Um, and visual art is a big part of Chris as a human being. Yeah. We're talking, mo you know, mostly about his music. We could have a whole different episode talking about your art and, uh, we let's maybe let's have you back real soon and we'll talk more because sure. there's so many stories and I want to talk to Chris forever, but how do people find your art? Uh, best thing to do is just go to my website. You can go Chris Taylor world, W O R L D Chris Taylor world.com. Um, I also have Chris Taylor artist on Instagram where it's just exclusively my artwork. If you don't want to, uh, go through all the other musical things or, or pictures of our dog or something like that. Um, so yeah, but, uh, those two places are probably the best places to find, uh, what it is I'm doing. And I've seen you bring art to certain shows, you know, not every show there's a space for that, but I have seen you bring art to certain shows. So be on the lookout for that as well. But let's talk about this album that I know that you're very excited about that, you told me about this 
the first time I came to visit you. And the, the backstory is really interesting. And I'd like you to tell the folks about this. And then I'm going to play a track from, from the album. I hope you don't mind if I play the whole track. Do you want me just to all. play a clip or I can you do, do this is your, this okay. is your show, man. As long I, as you're cool with it. I think people, I think people, uh, I think people would love to hear the whole, whole tune. Um, just because in a, a day and age where everything's just so short and sweet, I made this album, uh, to be listened to like, as if one were to take time to read a book, this is the way I want people to hear this particular album of mine is, uh, you know, from start to finish. And one of the, well, I want to get to the, the vinyl. We need to talk about the vinyl because I am yeah. a new vinyl guy. Right. So, but how did the album come about? Okay. So, um, I'll give you the short version and you can ask any questions in between. So basically, uh, 20, 2018, I started making a couple different records. You know, during the daytime, I was making this catchy sort of don't bore us, get to the chorus album. And I affectionately called that Born on the Beat. So that was making that during the day, which led me to um, explore and take more risks again. And so I was making another set of music. And this was at the time where I realized, you know, just because I'm making it doesn't mean I have to put it out. I can just create something just for the sheer love of creating it. So I was making this sort of nighttime album and I would bring in friends of mine and I, you know, these poor souls. Cause I'd come up with a drum loop and I just like hold the D minor chord down for six minutes. Uh, come up with a really great uh, tapestry on the keyboard and I, you know, make my friend Val Kronk, who's this amazing bass player, guitar player, and he also plays pedal steel and I'd make Val just play to six minutes of D minor on the pedal steel. <laughs> and he'd be like, there's no song here. I'm like, trust me, there will be a song when it's all said and done. Um, and so it was, it was that sort of just creating soundscapes that I just knew that once I get the music done, I'll, I can turn them into something later. So created a lot of music like that where it was very experimental very um um like i didn't really know what i was making i just knew the kind of uh spirit and essence that i wanted in the record so six or seven months later i had what would be considered an album full of songs and i realized i was making this record it was it was um lyrically it was all about sort of like the last eight or nine years of my life where I had, where I had been and where, where to where I am now, both physically, spiritually, um, whatever. It's sort of like this journey. And I did it, got it ma mixed, mastered. It was done. I was just sitting on it going, Oh, I'll put it out eventually. And then I, I talked to my friend, Misty Jones and Misty, Misty Jones Simpson, it, she's this amazing soul that I've known for quite a long time. Um, she had lived in Texas for a while, lived in San Antonio. And then, then you know, I like to say she was magically selected to go to some sort of magical producer school in, I think, Spain. It all sounds like I don't like to know the details. I just want to, I just want to like say things that, you know, right. um, that because it all sounds like super like otherworldly to me. 
So she goes and learns how to work um, with a whole different set of colors. Uh, I think she, I think Ableton um, is her uh, her workstation of choice, and she now is like a wizard at um, remixing, producing, all things in between. And so she was talking to me about how she just, you know, she's she now she's in Nashville. Uh, or just outside of Nashville, and she's just like, I, I'm so ready to work on something. Like, but everybody is their own producer now. Everybody's got their own studio in their bedroom. So, the, like, her services aren't being right. She's ready, willing, and available, but got no one to work with. And so, the light bulb moment of what if I just gave her all the stems to this record that I had just finished, and just say, do what you want with it. Like, if if you like this music then you can do whatever. You don't need me to bounce anything off of. You just, I just want you to play and, and have your way with it. And so for the next, and, and so she said, yes, let's do it. She heard the music and was, and was into it. And anyways, for the, and I said, don't work on a song until you feel super inspired. So there's no time limit. It's not like we have to rush to get it out or there's no deadline, you know, at least no hard deadline that we're going to have to, and get it done. And so I think for the next 10 months after that, she worked on it when she could. And it ended up being just some, just a thing of beauty that I'm like, I am so glad that I listened to that little voice. Well, I remember when we were talking about this and how excited you were and you played me at that time, she had only had one or two songs, uh, mixed or done uh where she had collabed with you but i remember how excited you were and now and you let me hear the original of a couple songs and then which her you know remix if you will or her production of yeah a different version uh and i thought that it was a brilliant collaboration um, because it doesn't sound like any of your other albums i'm hearing different things that are, you know, what I feel like, it sounds like this, 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 plus Chris and something I've never heard before. Sometimes you have to be careful when you tell an artist, hey, your song sounds like this, this, this. Some people take that in a negative way because, hey, I'm me, you know, I'm Tom Meany. I don't sound like this, 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 and this. Right, you know? right. Um, I get that side too. I, I do understand that. But sometimes people's, natural reaction is wow that makes me feel this or it makes me feel like it brings me back to a tv show that i watched it has that feel and i had yeah several things that came that i felt when i listened to this album i don't want to say them because i want to play a song and i feel like when you say that and then play the song people will then try and associate those things and they should associate their own things. Sure. But, sure. Um, I want to play a song from the album and this is called Everything Begins Here.
that was Chris Taylor's Everything Begins Here. And the name of the album is Lovers, Thieves, Fools, and Pretenders. Tell us a little bit about how this thing is going to be packaged and when it's coming out, when they can hear it. Well, you know, it's it's coming out, I would say, in the next month or two. Um, is the, is I don't have a, a specific release date for it. Um, so I met a guy a couple of years ago at a concert. Uh, he flew in from Florida, uh, he and his wife, and, and we met each other at this concert. And he became a friend of mine and then a big fan of my music, bought a, a bunch of my catalog, and then um, called me up one day after hearing, because I sent him, well, since you already have everything, I'll send you this little thing I'm working on. And he loved it so much that he said, I want to put this out for you. And so he's... That's really incredible. I'm like, like you never hear that. You happening. never hear that. And especially for me. So I was like, oh my God, I'm so grateful. So he's the one that's allowing me to put this out on CD, digitally, and then on double vinyl. Because yeah. it's, I didn't make this. We didn't, you know, Misty and I didn't set this. We didn't never knew this was going to be on a, 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 had a chance to go on vinyl. So it's longer than a normal vinyl record could be. And so he's like, well, let's just do a double vinyl. And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> and then if that's not good enough, if that's not amazing enough, I should say, he's putting it out. We're going to have a very, very limited edition box set where you're going to, it's going to be in a vinyl box and then you're going to open it up and it'll have um, like all of my artwork on the lyric sheets and it will be you know, something you can frame or, or keep in the box. Uh, it's just a treasure chest of, of goodness. And we'll include the CD and probably like an alternate CD with my versions of these songs. And it's going to be something else. So to me, I'm turning 50 in October and, and it feels like a 50th birthday present. Like, a, like this is a gift for me if anybody else buys it or not. Like I, I sure hope they do because it's, it's something really, really special. And, and I'm just so, um, you know, honored to have worked with Misty on this and, and, uh, yeah, so it's going to be something, something really, really special for, I think everybody. Well, I, I can tell you that you will have at least one sale of the vinyl box set because awesome. that's, my name is on one of them at least. So save one for me, please. Awesome. Thank you. Um, where can, well, I, I know where we can find you, but you have a Patreon page and I don't know a whole lot about Patreon. But the fact that you not only um, have albums, you have art, you do certain things on Patreon. Can you quickly tell us about your Patreon page yep. and what it is? So, you know, I heard about Patreon. Again, I don't know much about it, but I just sort of thought, all right, I'm going to go for it. And so I'm kind of making it up as I go along. But I've got a lot of stuff on there already that you can get. So basically, Patreon is kind of like a Kickstarter, kind of like a crowdfunding type thing except it's month to month so that if somebody wants to you know hey i i can give a dollar i can give five dollars or i can give a thousand dollars it's not sweat off my back to give chris a thousand bucks every month <laughs> there's something there for everyone for rich and poor alike um well, like what are the things that would be available so obviously they get um singles they get singles that you can't get anywhere else. I'm working on a, uh, I'm quietly working on an album full of, um, I call them meditations, to where it's instrumental music that you can just put on and 
go walk to, meditate to, read to, that kind of thing, to where there's no, you don't hear my annoying voice in it at all. <laughs> it's like this beautiful, I'm pulling together musicians from all over the, the world to play on these tracks that are just sort of these little special songs that, that just put you in a, in a kind of a state. So there's that kind of thing. There are, um, there's already a, a couple of uh songs from the lovers thieves fools and pretenders already on there for people um there are remastered of love coma um love coma's first two albums remastered is up there for everybody i got a few eps so it's already happening plus you can get a print of the month or an original piece so you get artwork as well as audio stuff, as well as um, some behind the scenes of the recording process. So you get a really healthy insight into my creative process, into yeah. my world. I encourage you to go check out his Patreon page. Do you have any gigs, big gigs that you might want to bring up? Yeah, the, so the only gig that really matters uh, to me in this in, upcoming up is next month. So it's August, Sunday, August 18th, and it's going to be... Our friends James Jean and Natalie Price are going to do um, a solo acoustic sort of in the round, I guess, in the round type session. And then I'm going to be there closing out the show with my with a band. So I have a full band for that show. It's going to be at Sam's Burger Joint, San Antonio, Texas, Sunday, August 18th. I think the show starts around 6 o'clock, so it's, uh, it's an early show. You can kind of go get the folk on get the rock <laughs> on and then be home in bed uh in time for a good night's sleep uh, that's awesome yeah i love all the people that are playing in that <laughs> me too <laughs> just you know what's so beautiful is and dripping springs songwriters festival is a big part of it uh you are a big part of it because we're connected that i have i'm becoming sort of new friends with all these folks with james with natalie um with ray prim um, and it feels like um, a, a new season because I'm, I'm, I've been sort of making all these records in art. I've been in a little bubble for a year. It seems like a couple of years. And now I'm like, there's people out there. <laughs> there's other beautiful people. I need to go meet them and get connected with them and just sort of, you know, just see what's happening out in the world and enjoy the beautiful things that they're making because I've been sort of stuck in my own trap but yeah love for you to come cool. by and and i will be at that sam's burger joint show august 18th in san antonio uh, for those of you who are fans of my music i have uh, some gigs coming up speaking of james gene my next gig is august 8th thursday august 8th at the townsend with james uh, and we hope that you can be there it's possibly going to be a full band thing for us which is uh, something that I have a little bit of anxiety about because I haven't played with the band in quite some time. Uh, but James is wanting to, to make it extra special. So August the 8th, I'm also going to be in Los Angeles, California with Ray Prim on September 14th. That's a Saturday at the Hotel Cafe. Chris, you got anything else you want to say to the folks before we sign off? You know, I just want to say thank you. And, uh, you know, to you personally, Tom, and then, you know, don't let fear, depression, anxiety, stress, all the bullcrap of the world, um, or don't let your self-doubt get in the way of creating something beautiful. Whether you're a musician, artist, or a mom just trying to raise your kids, or whatever it is you do, just do it and don't let anything stop you from doing it. 
do it in small ways, do it in big ways. That's all. Wise words, Chris. <laughs> See, that's why I like this guy so much. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure to subscribe on all of your uh, podcast applications. This, this podcast is available everywhere. Thank you for those who are listening and sharing the podcast with friends. We'll talk to you next week. I'll put an orchestra in your head Every time you go to bed Let that sweet, sweet melodies Blow your scary memory KTOM. KTOM.